Good morning. The title of our present series is Family Values. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring some of our own church family values, as you can see there on screen. Uh, over the last four weeks, the first week was we are accepted, not rejected. We are useful, not useless. We are formed, not forgotten. And what we mean by that is that we are shaped, shaped, molded, formed by God, just as God intended for us to be his people in his world. And last week, we are missional, not miserable. And uh, all of those talks can be heard on our website if you've missed any of them, and I do encourage you to catch up on the series. But today, our subject is that we are forgiven, not forsaken. We are forgiven, not forsaken. And at the heart of Christianity is God's forgiveness. Just a moment ago, we shared together the communion, the Lord's Supper, and that is central in our thinking as Christians, that we can only experience forgiveness through what Christ has done for us. He paid the price for our sin upon that cross. Crucifixion was the most and is the most cruel torture ever invented by humans. But for Jesus, he not only suffered that terrible physical torture, but he also experienced a spiritual abandonment on the cross when he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. And we just sang that wonderful Chris Tomlin song a moment ago. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And when we understand, when we truly understand the cost of our forgiveness by God, I believe it will transform absolutely everything in our lives. It will transform the way that we look, firstly, at God. It will affect that because we will see God as a God who lavishes his love upon us. A God who is generous and gracious and liberal and benevolent. Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So as we understand the cost of our forgiveness, it will affect the way that we look at God. It will also affect the way that we look at ourselves, that God thought that we, you and me, that we were worth it. How much does God love us? Well, all we need to do is to look at the cross, to look at Jesus with his outstretched arms, and we get it. We know how much he loves us, that much. You see, it was a free gift that we received by faith, but to God that cost was colossal, gargantuan. The price of our forgiveness was his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we truly understand the cost of our forgiveness, it will also affect the way that we look at other people. Because if God loved others, you know, those people with awkward shapes and sizes, those people who sometimes tread on our toes, those people who get on our nerves, those people who upset us and hurt us, if God 
loved other, others enough to send his son to save them, then we also need to see them as Christ sees them. Last uh, week, Dan gave a great uh, talk and uh, it was concluded with a song that we sang together, Hosanna. And uh, in that song, there's uh, this verse, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart with what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. And I think there's a great prayer to pray there, yes? And especially that line which says, show me how to love like you have loved me. We have been forgiven, not forsaken. It's not something that we deserve. It's an amazing privilege. It's amazing grace. And God calls us to respond in the same way to others in the way that we ourselves have been forgiven, that we have been called to mirror to others the love and the forgiveness that we have received from God. And Jesus told a great story about this, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 18. But before we dive into that story this morning, let's understand a little bit of the background. There's a conversation which is going on. And uh, Peter came to Jesus in Matthew 18, 21, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. You see, the rabbis taught that you should forgive another person three times and no more. And the rabbis said this because they believed that if someone needed to be forgiven more than three times, then that person is actually taking advantage of you. I suppose much like we would say in Tamworth in our day, they're having a laugh. <laughs> but Peter, big-hearted, magnanimous Peter, doubled that number and adds one for good measure. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Thinking he was going to get a pat on the back from Jesus and a well done, good and faithful servant. But you see, in God's kingdom, forgiveness totally exceeds Peter's ideal. And in the following verse, uh, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some translators believe that um, it wasn't 77 times that Jesus said, but 70 times seven. Now, it doesn't really matter who is right on that, because what Jesus is essentially telling us, whether it's 77 times or 490 times, my maths is good, we shouldn't be counting. That's essentially what's being said here. We shouldn't be counting. That Jesus was using a metaphor here for unlimited forgiveness. Stop keeping track. Stop counting. Stop trying to put a cap on God's forgiveness. And then, that's the basis, that's the foundation, the context for Jesus coming and telling this wonderful, wonderful story. I'll put it on screen. If you've got your Bibles, we're starting reading at uh, Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay, there are a number of truths here in this story. The first truth is that God has forgiven us an unpayable debt. The thing with this uh, story, with this parable, we need to recognize is that where the story starts. The story starts in the throne room of the king. And when it comes to forgiveness, that is where the story should always start. It shouldn't start with a long list of ways that people have hurt us. But we start in the throne room of the king. We start by reminding ourselves who he is and who we are and how great is our forgiveness. And in this story, we are told that the first servant who owed the king 10 thousand talents of gold which is a little bit confusing for modern years because how much is that how much is one talent of gold let alone ten thousand well one talent of gold i've been told was equal to 20 years of a laborer's wages so one talent is 20 years of a laborer's average earnings and it was ten thousand talents of gold so if you do the maths and use the average UK wage as a guide we're talking about 2.5 billion pounds here an unpayable amount and that was Jesus point you see this amount was far beyond that what anyone was able to pay back and Jesus uses this story as a picture of our relationship with God that one day every one of us will stand before him and give an account for our lives the God who created us he has given us life he sustains us every day he puts breath in our lungs and how often so often do we respond to all that God has given us to his grace well we have violated his commands we've ignored him We've disregarded his guidelines. We've made other gods of ourselves, worshipping created things, not least money. We have known what is right and failed to do it. We have known what is wrong and succumbed to it. And even the good things sometimes have been marred by wrong intentions and selfish ambitions. To use the words of Paul in Romans chapter 3, that we have fallen short of his glory. We have fallen short of the standards of God. 
and we are just like that first servant that we owe a huge debt to God, which is well, well, well beyond our ability to pay. But just as in Jesus' story, our King, God, is merciful. The servant fell on his knees, begged the king to be patient with him. Quite pathetic, really. He's even foolish enough to suggest that he can repay the debt somehow. But the king doesn't allow him to pay off this debt. After all, he was no more able to pay back 10,000 talents of gold than we would be able to pay back 2.5 billion pounds in a loan. The king doesn't come out with some installment plan with interest. All he does is wipe the state clean. That's what he does. Not because the man deserved it. He didn't. Had nothing at all to do with the man. But it had everything to do with the king. He was forgiven because the king was merciful. I think that that's a wonderful picture, don't you? Of what... Christ has done for us in God. He has completely cancelled our guilt, our debt. It's a gift that he offers to everyone. Our debt has been paid by Jesus. Are we undeserving? You bet we are. Are we unworthy? Yes, absolutely we are. And yet we are forgiven. And that's what we've been celebrating this morning as we took the bread and the wine together. We've been celebrating this great deliverance from our guilt and from our shame and from that which we owe the Lord. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavour, but by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who will stand? Not me, not you. Thanks to your grace, we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You see, in one sense, that story that Jesus told, the story of the king and the servant, doesn't even come close to explain what God has done for us through Christ. For God not only cancelled our debt, he actually paid our debt with his own life. Second thing that we see in this uh, story is the way that we have been forgiven by God provides the standard of how we forgive others. You've probably seen it. There's an incredible disconnect here of what happened in the throne room of the king to what then happened in the street. And we're told that this guy had been left off a humongous, unpayable debt. He sees a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. Again, that's not uh, something that we would necessarily know how much that is, but it's about three or 4,000 pounds, not an insignificant amount. But in comparison to the debt that he had been let off by the king, 2.5 billion, it, this, this was just sheer peanuts. And then the story turns ugly. He grabbed the other guy, he begins, begins to choke him, demanding that he pay back all that he owed. The servants who were watching this, the other servants, were outraged at what had happened and they reported the incident back to the king. The attitude of this guy, just reading it, makes your blood boil. I'm cross with him even just now. And it's a story. But you see, that was Jesus' intention. 
that we should react in that kind of way because that's what the story was about. It's really interesting to note as well that the second servant uses essentially the same words to the first servant as the first servant used before the king in verse 29. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. And in reading that story again this week, I, I thought, well, surely as he heard those words from the second servant, it must have brought some memory back to him of him using those words to the king. But it seems that that wasn't the case. There was no connection whatsoever in his mind between the way that the king had treated him and the way that he was now treating this fellow servant. And he throws this man in prison. And you know what? We sometimes throw people in prisons of unforgiveness. And when we do that, we also imprison ourselves that we become imprisoned emotionally and spiritually. <clears throat> As someone once said, we allow the other person to live rent-free in our heads. It was Nelson Mandela who put it brilliantly when he said once, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping that it will kill your enemies. Resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, that's what it does. It's you are the one who is drinking the poison. And it isn't long before we lose the joy of the Lord in our lives. It isn't long before we become spiritually barren. No longer experiencing the power and the presence of God in our lives. And then the king says, You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's a mistake that we all make. And the mistake is that when we are speaking of forgiveness, we make forgiveness all about them. All about them. We focus on the person who has wronged us in some way. We speak about whether they deserve our forgiveness or not. Whether they are sorry or not. To be, whether they are... Uh, apologetic enough, whether they have groveled enough, and it, we make it all about them. But the point of this story is that for people of God's kingdom, in the way that we deal with issues of unforgiveness, it's never about them. It's always about him. Get this, this is probably the most important thing I'm saying today of issues of unforgiveness. It's never about them, the people who have hurt you, the people who have trod on your toes, the people who have gossiped about you, whatever it is, slandered you, done things to hurt you. It's not about them. But it's always about him. You see, some people hurt us, and some of those people will acknowledge it and apologise. Others will never say sorry. But that does not give me license to be bitter or unforgiving or angry. Because my response to the hurt is not focused on their repentance or apology or lack of it, but it's focused on God. Because he is the one who shapes my idea of what forgiveness is. Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, 
Forgive. As what? As the Lord forgave you. Let's think this one through. How did the Lord forgive you? Was it begrudgingly? No. Was it half-heartedly? No. Um, did he say to us, uh, I might be able to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget this? Which is sometimes what I've heard with others. No. He forgives us completely. He has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. He has promised to remember our sins no more. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And let's be honest this morning. You know, we can be honest. We're in church. It's all right. <laughs> Forgiveness is an unnatural act. It's everything within us, every morsel of our being, fights against forgiving someone that we know doesn't deserve that forgiveness. It's one of the hardest things, I think, for any of us who is a Christian. C.S. Lewis once said, we all agree with forgiveness as a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And of course, we know that he's right. Because we can know what the Bible teaches on it. We can do Bible studies on forgiveness. We can say it's a beautiful concept, a beautiful ideal. But the most important thing is that we practice it, and that's not so easy. You see, to forgive someone doesn't mean that we condone their actions. Now, people misunderstand this. People think that if I forgive someone, I'm condoning that person's actions. No, we're not. We're not condoning their actions. And we're not saying that what they have done to me is no big deal. Because many of the things that have been done to us by other people are a big deal. It might have been that we have been on the receiving end of lies or slander or gossip. It's very painful. It might have been some kind of abuse. But to forgive isn't downplaying what has been done against us. And it's most certainly not approving of the other person's sin. And neither does forgiveness mean that there shouldn't be consequences for that sin. For example, a murderer might find forgiveness with God and even with forgiveness with the family of the person that he has murdered. But the victim is still dead. And when police apprehend the murderer, he will get a jail sentence. He couldn't just say to the police, could he? Well, God's forgiven me and the family has forgiven me. Neither does forgiveness mean that we should quickly entrust ourselves to a person who has previously wronged us. You know, if I lend my car to Brenda and Brenda gets drunk and she crashes my car, I need to forgive Brenda. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to lend her my car anytime soon again. <laughs> yeah? The kingdom of God is God's revolution on earth. And I would say to you this morning that there is nothing more revolutionary than forgiving someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Do you think that's revolutionary? Do you think that's radical? <coughs> Oh, dear me. 
Yes, come on. There is nothing more revolutionary and radical in the world than to forgive someone who doesn't deserve being forgiven. And that's what we are about. Because we, have, we follow the one who has done the very same. We are emulating him. We are imitating his ways. We are standing in his footsteps. That is what we're about. You know, we can play church forevermore. But this is radical. It's revolutionary. The world takes notice. And thirdly, if we won't forgive, then God won't forgive me. If I won't forgive, God won't forgive me. We read in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. We must remember that this, just like other parables, is a story. And we need not, we must not take all the details of any parable too literally. Now, torture was forbidden by Jewish law. So what Jesus was using here when he was speaking about going out and be tortured, he was just using hyperbole. Uh, he was using an overstatement or an exaggeration to get the message home. And the following verse actually helps us understand this in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now the point that Jesus is making here is that there is a link between the way that we forgive others or we don't forgive others and God forgiving us. You know, we see the same, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus link our forgiveness by God with us forgiving other people? And the answer to that very simply is this. Jesus desires that we should be set free. Free of baggage that would hinder our walk with God. And not forgiving others when Jesus tells us to forgive others is just the same as any other sin. It tarnishes our relationship with God. You know, Jesus isn't suggesting for a moment here that we will lose our salvation or that we will be standing outside of God's grace. He's not saying that. Because if you're a Christian this morning, you, like me, we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we belong to God. But not forgive when Jesus says that we must forgive spoils and tarnishes the beauty of his presence in our lives. Time is through. Let me just uh, try to bring this to some kind of uh, conclusion and application for our lives this morning. We are forgiven, not forsaken. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. Probably many of us this morning are quite overwhelmed by it. But we've also been called to emulate it, to imitate it. 
Because when we forgive others who don't deserve our forgiveness, we act in a God-like manner. Now, maybe some of you are here this morning that you are thinking about those who have hurt you long ago, perhaps in your childhood. You might have su- su- suffered neglect at the hands of those who should have offered you security and protection. Maybe that person that hurt you so badly is no longer alive, but you are still holding on. Maybe some of you feel that you do not or did not deserve the treatment that you got from another person. It was unfair. It was unjust. It was unreasonable. And every time you think about that, you feel that deep sense of pain and anger and anxiety in your heart. How could I have been treated that way, you ask? Maybe for some of you, when you hear a certain name mentioned, you feel bitter. You feel all twisted up inside and you don't like feeling that way, but you can't seem to help yourself. For some of you, the person that you have most trouble forgiving is yourself. You look back upon your life with great regret about the things that you said and the things that you did things that were foolish, things that were wrong, things that were sinful. And you can't believe that that was you, that you actually did or said those things back then. And you are struggling to believe that God could ever come to you to forgive you. Maybe someone here, that you're a person who feels that you've gone too far that not even God could forgive you for the things that you have done in your life. And I would say to you this morning, if that's you, if you were saying that, not even God could forgive me. You might not be saying it out loud to other people, but in your heart of hearts, that is what you are feeling. I would want to say to you that that is a lie. That is a lie. That's a lie of the devil. Because the God who created you, is the God who knew you before you were born, the the God who created you in your mother's womb, the God who has an everlasting love for you. And this morning, you need to reach out to that hand that reaches down to you, who invites you to come into this place of forgiveness and wholeness in your life and to start a new life and to be free of guilt and self-condemnation. You'd be crazy to refuse an offer like that. Guys, could you come back? We, we're going to sing in a moment a song which is just such a great song. It's a song which I love so much. But it's the words of this song, I feel, are just the right response for us this morning. It's the song Majesty, which says, Your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed but alive in your hands. Forever I am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty. And then there's a verse which says this. Here I am, humbled by the love that you give. Forgiven so that I might forgive. Here I stand knowing that I'm your desire, sanctified by glory and fire. Now I've found the greatest love of all is mine, since you laid down your life. 
the greatest sacrifice. Would you stand with me, please? Let us use these words as a response of our hearts this morning to God's grace and his forgiveness upon us. Maybe that you are one of those folk that I spoke about. Maybe there are issues and struggles in your own life over forgiveness. Then this morning, just be aware that God is in this place. He is there and able to take the sting and to take that, that guilt away from you and to bring new life and a new start to your lives today. Let's pray.